Amen. Thank you for that, Miss Hain. Appreciate that. Galatians chapter 1, and we continue tonight in our series, Galatians, Gospel of Grace. Anybody need notes out there in Radio Land? All right, anybody at all? Oh, they got you covered. Great job, fellas. Thank you very much. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James the Lord's brother." Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God in me. And tonight we're going to cover, uh, Lord willing, these verses of scripture in this passage. Father, would you work during this time tonight? Help us to pay close attention to your word. I thank you for the boys and girls who are in here to hear preaching tonight, and I pray that their hearts would be in tune with your word, that the Spirit of God would be able to show to them something important in each of their lives, as well as the rest of us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ever want to read the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9, He was on the road to Damascus so that he could kill Christians. And on the way, a bright light from heaven, God's revelation shined down to him. It was not a man who spoke to him. It was God who spoke directly to him. And there was a bright light. There was a voice that only he could hear. The others around him couldn't hear the voice. And he fell off his beast and fell on the road and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And, a, and he had a relationship with God that began at that point. And it's a wonderful testimony. Um, we talked about in recent weeks, as we get started in the series, how that he had been to the region of Galatia before. And he had walked into a city, and as he walked in, uh, there was a devastating medical condition that was taking place, and he was part of a healing And as he was part of a healing, the people in the city began to cry out that he was a Roman god. That one of the gods had come down. And remember, he stopped them. 
because he didn't want glory for himself. He totally stopped them. He said, I'm a servant of God. And then they picked up stones to stone him. So as we get started tonight, kind of keeping all of that in the back of your mind, you read this first verse, for do I, for do I now persuade man or God, or do I seek to please men? The Galatians already knew the answer to this question. They already knew who Paul was. He'd been through before. They already, know, uh, already knew what it was he was seeking to do. And as we get into your notes tonight, we wanted to start with that type of an introduction. So f- first thing in your notes as we get going. Paul's message was revealed from God. Not received or repeated from other apostles. And there are a couple times where Paul mentions his testimony. Uh, look at Acts chapter 9. I just want to show you this. I know many of you are familiar with this passage. There is no testimony in the scriptures that is this unique. Acts 9 verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any any Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now you could read in Acts 22 or Acts 26 where Paul develops that testimony even further. But it it shows us something that's unique. Um, In modern days, it's so easy for us to talk about the sinner's prayer or to talk about some can of salvation that we might offer out, um, to talk about some experience that can be had to receive salvation. Paul was never shown the Romans road. God used him to write the Romans road. Um, Paul did not have anyone come up and say, Paul, for you to be saved, you need to bow your head, and you need to put your hand on a Bible, you need to pray this prayer after me. No, God revealed himself from heaven. Jesus said, I am Jesus. And it's hard for you to kick against the bricks. You're persecuting me. And when Paul said in his heart, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That was his moment of salvation. And by the way, you receive Jesus Christ the moment that your heart asks that same question. Now, you may have done it as you stepped out to walk down an aisle in a church. You may have done it as you determined that you're going to kneel by your couch in your living room. You may have done it as a child when you were on your bed crying because you didn't want to go to hell. That's when I was 12 years old. Oh, my word. What a horrible summer. They showed all summer long these tribulation films at church. And, of course, I had been to church my whole life. And when I was four, 
Um, apparently, I had prayed a, a prayer to ask Jesus into my life, but I had no memory of it. And I was even baptized when I was seven. And that summer, they started showing these um, hideously made films. Of course, we didn't know that back then. We thought they were the greatest thing ever. Like, whoa, did you see that? And uh, there was Thief in the Night. And uh, there was, uh, I can't think of them all, Prodigal Planet. They had all these ones about what happened after the tribulation started. And they, they had these guys like roaming around in these fake tanks, you know. And, and all these, is what, this guy, one moment I remember this guy is running across this bridge trying to get away. It was kind of a slow motion effect. It was about as good as what I just did. Um, but, but God gri- gripped my heart through that whole summer. And every night when I went to, before I went to sleep, I would pray a prayer, Jesus, if I'm not saved, save me tonight. And I just doubted. And finally, at the end of August of that year, um, it was the, the Sunday or the Saturday night. School was going to start on Monday. And uh, I was going to be, I think, in uh, 1984. I was probably going to be in seventh grade. So the, the, the concept in my mind that I kept struggling with is, if you go in and talk to your parents about this, they're going to say, well, you already got saved. Right? Now, who do you think told me that? Not God. Um, or I would think, everybody at school already thinks you're saved. If you go forward in church to say that you got saved, everybody's going to say, well, I thought you were already saved. Ooh, how embarrassing, right? But in our minds, we have these conflicts that we put up to stop ourselves from yielding our heart to Christ. At about 11.30 that Saturday night, I finally determined I'm getting up and I'm taking care of it. And so I went to my parents' bedroom and I woke them up because they always go to bed early. And I woke them up and they freaked out. They thought, what in the world just happened? And um, I, I woke up. My mom was the first one who became coherent. <laughs> and so I told her, I don't think I'm saved. And of course, of course she um, deferred to my father and made him coherent by then. Wake up! Boy's not saved! Wake up! So we, we went in the living room, and of course, we didn't have to go through any verses. We didn't have to go through any explanation. I knew what had to be done. And, and I believe what it was is that yielding in the heart. There has to be a moment where your heart has yielded to Christ. There are hundreds of thousands of people who've prayed a prayer who will not be in heaven because their heart never yielded to Jesus Christ. They never had an attitude of, Lord, what would you have me to do? And look, if you have never been able to bow before God and say, God, I want what you want for my life, you may not be a Christian. I'm just being brutally honest with you. You can have a head knowledge of who Jesus is, that he came to die for sins, that he came to die for your sins. And you could have prayed a prayer about that. But if you have never made him the Lord of your life personally and said that exact thing that Paul said or something similar to that in your heart, there's a struggle there. And Paul received this message from God. Now, we see back in Galatians 1, Though Paul, 
claimed indebtedness to man regarding the gospel, as a servant of God, he intended only to please his master. So we find later in Romans chapter 1, or earlier in the New Testament, Romans 1, where Paul says, I am debtor, both to the Greek and to the barbarian, both to the wise and to the unwise. And he was talking about the fact that because he had been given so much, that he had a debt that he should share with everyone. He had a debt that he should take the gospel to everyone. And he wanted to say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. And, and so here in this passage, he is trying to certify and help these, these bewitched, which is tricked or deceived group of people who have gone away from grace. They have entered the, the, just this barren land of legalism. There's nothing good whatsoever about legalism. It never gives any hope. It never gives any permanent rest in Christ. It never gives any eternal security in Christ. So he said, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was priests of me is not after man. And he wanted them to know this up front. Now, let's have a conversation in your notes about the other apostles. And we'll see more of this throughout the lesson tonight. Though the other apostles had been disciples of Jesus himself... They were human, just as we are. We say this in the notes, men honor those whom they appoint. Men honor those whom they appoint. We're going to see in a minute how they chose a replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot. And kind of figure out what all happened there. And hopefully it'll be a unique view that nobody, or maybe few of you have ever thought of. But... As they determined that they were going to choose a new disciple to replace Judas, it was their idea. Now, I have to tell you, people like their own ideas, right? And how many people do you know that don't like their own ideas? They may not like it later, but they like it now. They like their idea. It's my idea. And if it's your idea, you're going to promote it. If it's your idea, you're going to push it. If it's your idea, you're going to be happy about it. And that's what we're going to see with these apostles and kind of how they reacted to the death of Judas. First, before we do that, go to Acts chapter 13. And I want you to see the other side of this equation, which was how God chose Paul for ministry. Now, God, obviously, we read in his salvation testimony, wanted him to be a child of God. But he had a bigger plan than that. Look at Acts 13, verse number 2. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So God instructed the church at Antioch to separate Paul, of course, and Barnabas, for the work of ministry. He was clearly God's choice for the final apostle. God chose Paul in a unique way, spoke to him directly by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ met him. Um, the only time where there's an earthly representation of Jesus Christ after the resurrection and before his return is in that moment where he had a face-to-face -face encounter with the apostle Paul. 
And, and so he was called directly to be the final apostle. Go back with me to Acts chapter, chapter 1. Let's note some things in this passage. Okay, Jesus was about to ascend. And let's start in Acts 1, verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Okay, so what were they supposed to do after the ascension? They were supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. That's what they were supposed to do. Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Okay, now look at verse 15. So Jesus has ascended. The angel has spoken to the ones who were gathered there and said, um, as he's gone, in like manner he'll return. Verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Okay, so Peter's the one who stood up for this. It was his idea. He says, men and brethren, this scripture which must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. There were prophecies about what would happen to Judas, how many pieces of silver he would get, what he would do with the pieces of silver, and what he would do after he gave the pieces of silver. But this was Peter's own idea. This was not according to prophecy. And so he says, listen, let's choose somebody else. Um, verse 21, Wherefore of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So here's what they're saying. Look, we got to get the number back up to 12. All right? We can't do without 12 apostles. There have to be 12 earthly witnesses of what Jesus did. Okay, everybody following along with me here? And we've got to take it all the way back to when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John. And if there was a guy or there's guys who were there from that time all the way through the resurrection, they should be our candidates. Okay? Now, this is a great New Testament model, except it didn't come from God. Do you remember who called the disciples? Jesus called the disciples, right? Did he call them personally? I believe he did. I believe he went to Matthew's tax stand and said, follow me. I believe he went to James and John and said, follow me. Peter and Andrew, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He called them all directly, personally. Now, these guys did it a little differently. Verse 23. And I want you to see the key word in this. And they... Appointed two. Who appointed two? They did. Did Jesus tell them to do it? Nope. Did the Holy Spirit tell them to do it? Nope. He hadn't shown up yet. They were supposed to wait for him. Before they did anything, they didn't wait. They got all churchy and decided to make some moves. They appointed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was named, surnamed Justice, and Matthias. Now, with, this gets even more strange. Look, look at the next verse. And they prayed. So they prayed. This, this is how you make it official. They prayed. They chose two guys, and then they prayed. Right? That's how it works. 
It's how you do it in the church. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. All right, so their prayer is, God, we have given you two candidates. Now you choose one of them. Right? Now, is anybody remembering that this is the same Jesus who walked the earth and talked with them? This is the same Jesus who rose from the tomb just several weeks before this. Same Jesus who said, wait for the promise of the Father. Don't do anything until you get the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. But they made up their mind and, and they prayed. And isn't that how we sometimes do things? We make up our mind to do it and then we pray. Now, God never answers, but we pray. God never says, go for it, but we pray. And, that's, and then we can go before our friends and say, I prayed about this. I prayed about this. Yeah, but what was the answer? <laughs> right? If there wasn't an answer, then it didn't really work. Now, I want you to show, I'll show you for certain there was no answer. Look at the next verse. And they gave forth their lots... And the lot fell upon Matthias. They drew straws to see who the last apostle would be. Right? Oh, you got the short straw, you're out. Matthias, God has called you. Right? This is what happened. They gambled to see who the final apostle would be. Now, I wasn't there, and you, you may be saying, Pastor, you're being hypercritical of these guys. They were servants of God. Yeah, but I remember who they were. I've read the New Testament a few times. This was the same Peter who told Jesus off a few times. This is the same Peter who put his foot in his mouth more than, I, don't even, I can't even think of a, a good metaphor. What puts their foot in their mouth? Babies? <laughs> I don't know. Lost that one. These were the guys who didn't have anything going for them until the Holy Spirit showed up. Now, once the Holy Spirit showed up and Pentecost took place, the church began to just blossom. and People were added daily to the church. But this was not a move that was sanctioned by God. You say, Pastor, how do you know for sure? Well, I could give you one kind of thought on maybe why. Do you know that this is the last time that Matthias is ever mentioned in the scriptures? Wow. They chose him. He's the guy. It's either this guy or this guy. God, you choose. Oh, didn't hear from you. Okay, guys, let's uh, draw some straws. And, um, oh, you win, Matthias. Never heard from again. Wow. <laughs> you know how some of your ideas have never been heard from again? It's because they weren't God's ideas. They were your ideas and you tried to pray over them. And you liked them because they were your ideas. I'm the same way. If it's my idea, sometimes I like it. And I have to actually get people to come along who will tell me, let go. Let go of the idea. It's not God's idea, it's your idea. Let go. And You'll have to pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Right? That's the way we are. We sometimes treat God's will 
as if we own it. And they did this. So we say in your notes, although Matthias had been appointed and elected by men in a meeting, God was clearly not involved. God was clearly not involved. If you read the scriptures, you know when God's involved. And have you ever read where God did something in the Bible? (laughs) Time and time and time again, you knew when it was God. This clearly was not God. All right, do you remember somebody else who cast lots to figure out what they should do? The heathen mariners who threw Jonah into the sea. So that's about the level that they went to here. But Paul was called. He was separated by God. So back in Galatians 1. Keep going here. Galatians 1. We kind of touched on this um, last week. And we'll say this in your notes. Galatians is the only epistle directed to a group of churches. The others were given to individuals or to individual churches. So the pastoral epistles were to individuals. Many of the other epistles were to other local churches, but this was to a group of local churches. Next in your notes, look at, look at this. Paul's testimony of salvation gave glory fully or wholeheartedly Probably better do fully. I don't think wholeheartedly will fit in your blank. To God. He gave glory wholeheartedly to God. This educated, zealous man had thought Christianity was the enemy. And so here's what he's saying. If it was up to me, I was taking Christianity out. If it was up to me, I was opposed. Because I thought that God would work only through the Jews. I thought that God could work only through the law and through circumcision. And when I found out the truth, God is the one who changed me. And so he had to give glory totally to God. By the way, if you can't give total glory to God on your salvation, once again, you may want to check up on what kind of salvation you have. Because the salvation of the New Testament gives glory to God. Fully to God. There's nothing on your own that you can do. There's no way to bridge the gap of sin on your own. Next one in your notes. Paul repeats that his authority was solely from God. He didn't ask any person what, where, or when to preach. So he said, listen, I was going to preach exactly what God told me to preach. Where he told me to preach, when he told me to preach. And there was nobody else involved in that. His sanction came directly from God. All right, um, let's get the history of this a little bit. Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. And you remember there was a, a gentleman in the city who was led by God to go and meet Saul who became Paul. His name was Ananias. And Ananias was supposed to go and to help brother Saul, who was the guy that came to kill him, to receive his sight. And it's one of the the most unique passages of Scripture. Go back to Acts 9. i got to show it to you. It's great. I want you to put yourself in Ananias' shoes here. Go through this. 
Acts 9, verse 10. Saul had been uh, three days without sight, and he also had a complete fast. No eating, no drinking. And then God comes to this disciple, verse 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. Isn't that ironic? His name was Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Ananias. I love irony in the scriptures. Some of you just don't. You don't enjoy the Bible at all. Um, It's kind of like our son Dawson. Anytime he wants something, he will always come in the room and go, Hey, Dad. Like, what? Right? Like, he couldn't just go ahead and say what it was. Hey, Mom. So you ha- he, he makes you respond to him. What do you need, young friend? Right? Um, he makes you respond to him. Now, this is what happens here. So the, the Lord came to him in a vision, and he makes sure he's talking to the right guy. Ananias. Ananias. And he, saw, he said... Behold, I am here, Lord. So they got that straightened out. All right, now check this out, verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight. So he's going to go to Straight Street. It's in there, huh? I'm not making this up. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. All right, now we're going to find out a minute that that Ananias already knows who Saul of Tarsus is. And when he hears the words, he prayeth, he probably, you know, spit up some tea that he was drinking or something. What? He prayeth. He prayeth. Yeah, he prayeth. And as seen in a vision, this is where it gets really ironic, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. A man named Ananias. Is there some other disciple named Ananias? You, me? You want me to go? And he said, the, and Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man and how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me. Hmm. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way. That's a tough job. You know, sometimes God calls you to do something that you just really don't want to do. It's not that you... You're upset at God. You're just not too excited about it. I mentioned the book of Jonah earlier. You ever read it? Jonah was not excited to go to the city where they were making prophets climb the stairs and slide down a tool that split bodies in half. He wasn't real excited about that for some reason. Ananias was not excited to go see the gospel murderer. And yet, he went... And he gets there, and look what he says to him in verse 17. He puts his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul. Now that is grace. That is love. Have you ever had to call somebody a Christian brother or sister, and you did not feel at all like they were? You're like, brother. 
God bless you, sister. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightst receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. So Paul had gotten his authority from God. And after this, Paul goes and spends some time um, in Damascus with the Christians there. And in fact, he has to be let out of the city by a basket over the wall. Then he goes into the desert of Arabia for three years. And what we find in Galatians 1, and we say this in your notes, Paul had already been preaching the gospel for several years before he even met another apostle. So he had already been preaching for several years before he even met another apostle. Okay, back in Galatians 1, he kind of touches this. We get the story directly from him. Um, Verse 17, Neither went I up to Jerusalem, to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And so Paul had already been preaching the gospel for several years before he even met another apostle. And next thing you notice, he never sought advice from the band of disciples, the the big group of disciples. In fact, the only two he ever physically met were Peter and James. And if you want to understand how God and His inspiration clarifies things in Scripture. Look what it says in verse 19. But other the apostles I saw none save James, the Lord's brother. Right? Now this is James, the son of Alphaeus. So not the James and John James, the other James. James, the son of Alphaeus. Alphaeus, same name as Cleopas. If you've ever read Luke 24, one of the guys walking on the road to Emmaus was a guy named Cleopas. It was the uncle of Jesus Christ. And uh, he was married to um, Mary's sister, Mary. Right? Did you hear what I just said? He was married to Mary's sister, Mary. No, really. He was married to Mary's sister. Her name was Mary, too. Now, how many of you have a sibling that has the same exact name as you do? Right? It's pretty rare now. You'd like to, yeah? Daryl, my other brother Daryl, my other brother Daryl, I know, I got it. What? His four brothers all have Yeah, so see, this, was, this is a common practice, um, which probably moved towards Spain in the early years, where they would name all their children by the same name, and then they'd have a different kind of middle name. So Mary had a sister named Mary who had a son named James. And in those days, they called their cousins brothers. Right? Now, how many of you have a cousin who's like a brother to you? Or a cousin who's kind of like a sister to you? How many of you have a cousin that you like to punch his lights out? Okay. How many of you, it's the same cousin who's your... Yeah, okay. So, but James, this is the guy who began to pastor the church of Jerusalem. He's also the guy who God used to write the book of James. And Paul describes him in this passage as James the Lord's brother. Now, that's our English word, brother. Um, so, so don't come to me and say, Pastor, you're wrong. Okay? 
Because if you look up the Greek word, what it means is brother or cousin. Okay, this is what it is, brother or cousin. So, yeah, I see the challenge coming. Let's see it right ahead of me. Okay, last section. He wanted it clearly understood that he was speaking earnestly and truthfully as the Spirit dictated to him. His words were not for sale. He didn't have any advantage to gain from this, from telling the truth. That's why he says in verse 20, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. I have no advantage in telling less than the truth. And so Paul gives us, by the Holy Spirit, Galatians. Next thing in your notes. Though many didn't want to believe it back then, and some still don't today, authority in the spiritual realm is derived only from God. Now, in this day in Galatia, in the region of Galatia, and even in our day, there are a lot of people who claim that they have spiritual authority. But you know, it's not really spiritual authority unless it comes from God. And you say, well, how do you know? Sometimes you don't. Um, Even the best of Christians get tricked on this. And what we have to do is we have to make sure, like we said this morning, that we're on the path. That we're connected to people who are going the, the right way on the path. And sometimes people who've been down the path just a little bit further than us see us watching Benny Hinn when they come to pick us up for church. And they say, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Benny, he's a fraud. Okay? And at first we gasp and we're, Benny's a fraud? I, I just can't believe it with his $600 haircut and his $50,000 piano and his helicopter. I can't believe Benny's a fraud. But, but we have Christians who help us. Um, sometimes even at church, you'll have somebody who, who starts to get close to you in your life crew, and they'll come to you and they'll say something like, I don't understand what Pastor was talking about today when he mentioned about Benny Hinn or when he mentioned about the charismatic movement, or when he mentioned about a Bible version, and things like that, and I'm pretty upset about it. And you know, you have somebody there on the path who can stand there with you and talk about it and say, listen, first of all, I want you to know this. Pastor only preaches the Bible, and he preaches the things led by the Holy Spirit that he thinks would be beneficial to our lives. And we don't always understand exactly every part of it, but Here's why he normally says things about Benny Hinn. Because people like Benny Hinn don't have real spiritual authority. They're fakes. They're phonies. And yes, they have some power behind them, but it's not God's power, which means it's... Okay? And we can talk them through that. That's why it's so important to be connected. Um, There are people sometimes who walk out those doors and they never come back because of something I said that they don't understand. Imagine that. Can you even imagine it? It's hard for me to imagine it. Some of you have no fun at church. You are not welcome to the nacho feed. But I love you in Christ. All right, last one. Paul never sought glory or praise from men for himself. But was glad to record the fact that men glorified God in him. Look at this at the end. Verse 23. But they had heard only. 
They didn't have his face. There was no Facebook. There was no internet. There were no yearbooks. They didn't know what he looked like. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And look at the next verse. I underlined this. This is great. And they glorified God in me. They glorified God in me. That ought to be the prayer of every Christian as we serve God. That people will glorify God in us. Which means it's not about us, it's about God. And they glorified God in Paul. Next week, Lord willing, we'll move into chapter 2. And uh, seriously, I know I say crazy things up here sometimes. If you ever do have a question about the passage, or you don't understand something I'm saying, I'd love to talk to you. And I won't be mean to you. I won't question your salvation if you ask me a question, all right? Um, Unless you're certain people here in the room. So, up to you. All right, let's stand, and we'll be dismissed in a closing word of prayer. Hope you can come to the nacho feed. Um, If you need to touch base with your service group real quick, go ahead and do that. I think most of them kind of know that we're moving over to the other building for those who'd like to go do that. Um, We will need to talk about or talk to the music service group for just a second after the service. Also, if you could help with uh, transportation for Brother Ben, if you could see me right after the service. Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his ministry and the things that we can learn from the book of Galatians, which was given by Holy Spirit inspiration. Help us to be pliable and moldable in your hands this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.